something's certain. We don't do uh, cold opens or soft starts here on the big conversation. Alex. Well, I am glad to begin on a point of agreement with you, Ben, that, uh, yes, if there is no God, there is no free will. But I think that's because of the truth of, this, of, of the latter of those statements. That I suppose the biggest criticism that I made of you in a, in a video response that I made to the atheist delusion, and, and this show does seem to have an extraordinary capacity for putting me face-to-face -face with people that I've been talking smack about online. So <laughs> thanks again. By the way, I should say it's a great video, and everybody should watch it if they haven't. Well, uh, I'll, I'm going to put that uh, put that in the description, I think, that, that glowing endorsement. The principal disagreement that I think I had with you, Ben, is that there was a subtle, or not so subtle, implication, in my view, that yes, uh, with no God, there's no free will. But somehow having God can solve this problem. I mean, you said a moment ago that you don't think you can establish God's existence through reason alone, but assuming that you do believe in the existence of free will, you think it's a real thing that you have. Yes. And simultaneously saying that if there is no God, then free will makes no sense. Yes. That does read to me like an argument for God's existence, such that in order to to, to either say that there is free will, in, in order to say that there is free will, one must believe in God. And, and that does strike me as well, I mean, an argument to, for God's existence. I mean, to, to slightly curve that or, or to, to kind of sand off the, the rough edges there, I would say that the argument I made is, not, is an argument for something extra natural. Sure. Now, you can call okay. that God or not Fine. God, but, but, the, but the, the thing that I'm making the argument for is that you cannot get from a materialist Darwinist universe to yes. free will. That is not possible. So I know that the way you solve that is that you say that there is no free will. That's right. And what I'm saying to you is you don't act that way. I hear this all the time. People say, look, you may say there's no free will, but you don't act as though that's the case. I, I, I suppose that I'm just confused as to what it would look like for somebody to act as if they believed there was no free will. I mean, the very argument that there is no free will that I subscribe to, at least one of the various mm -hmm. forms that it takes, is a, a sort of Schopenhauerian view that you can do as you will, you just can't will what you will, a and that you are essentially just a biological machine reacting to its, uh, to, to its internal and evolutionary drives. That's what's happening. Now, call that nihilistic if you like, that's a separate question, but as to the question of how this would make one act, the idea that this might uh, cause us to sort of lay around in bed all day or something, the very mechanism that I think is responsible for eliminating the possibility of free will, that is, the drives that make people do what they do, like I say, do exactly that make people do what they do. They make them get out of bed in the morning. Why do you get out of bed and go and make your breakfast if there's no free will? So well, you go and get breakfast because there's no free will and something is driving you to do that that's outside of your control. For sure. So the so to get back to the nihilism point, which you kind of put aside, so that, that means that this conversation is essentially worthless in any sort of real sense. I mean, effectively, we were driven here by evolutionary biology and environment to have this conversation. Everybody who's watching this is driven by evolutionary biology and and environment to have a particular reaction to that thing and ever round the cycle goes. That seems like a very purposeless life. Maybe that's, maybe the, again, I'm drawing from a realm that is not evolutionarily, bio, biologically you know, connected. The, the word purpose is, is really, teleology obviously has been taken out of the realm of science pretty thoroughly by, by atheists and by, by many people in the sciences, although I, I would argue that Again, most scientists speak in the realm of teleology literally all the time, and they're yes. borrowing language from the language of teleology, even when they're describing functions of particular body parts, right? The heart pumps blood in order to right. keep you alive, right? They're, they're constantly using language that's teleological in nature. Mm -hmm. um, the, the real question that I have, and this, this is what goes to the question that you were asking at the beginning, before the, the sort of pre-question question, which was the good of religion to society, one of those goods is people believing that their free will matters and this mm -hmm. actually is a useful thing. So I believe that it is deeply important 
for people in society to believe that they have the capacity to change themselves and to make different decisions than what biology would drive them to. So you say, well, it's biology that drives you to get out of bed in the morning, which is almost Calvinist in, in sort of the, the, mm. the way that it's described, right? It's like you're predestined to get out of bed in the morning, so thus you get out of bed in the morning. But the reality is that we are constantly making decisions as though those decisions make a difference in the universe. And what social science actually does tend to show is that when people believe that they have control over their own actions, that when they believe that they're, they're capable of changing the way that they live, they do make those changes with more alacrity and in better directions than if they don't believe that. If people tend to believe in a deterministic universe, they do act worse. So it may work. This is, this is going to be sort of Straussian in its implications, but the, that may work for you. You're a very high IQ individual who can somehow reconcile the idea of living a very purposeful life with the idea that actually there's no purpose to anything. Mm -hmm. But for the vast majority of people, that is not actually how they live. And I would suggest that even in your daily life, you don't get out of bed in the morning thinking, man, my biology is driving me this morning to get on the bike, have a great day, the sun is shining. That's my biology doing this. And I don't think that, that most people who live purposeful lives, even if they believe that everything they're doing is predetermined by the world around them, by their own biology, I don't believe they actually feel that. They have to engage in what they themselves would, would term an illusion in order to feel a, a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives. Of course, but that's what the evolutionary process, in my view, in my worldview, I should say, has done so well, is provide precisely that illusion. I mean, it, it's not as that, I mean, you say, look, you don't get out of bed in the morning thinking, gosh, you know, look at my biological My neurons are firing, yeah. <laughs> uh, of, of course not, because if I did, then the whole evolutionary purpose that this this illusion serves would fall away. I mean, you say that this is a fairly purposeless life and, and perhaps, a, you know, the implication is that it's a bit of a depressing one. Uh, I, I didn't come here to inspire optimism in people. I just think it is in <laughs> fact the case. By the way. <laughs> it is in fact the case that free will doesn't exist. And, and we may feel very uh, nihilistic towards that, but uh, as a wise man once said, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> and I will say that the argument against free will, in my view, is based upon something broader than just scientific analysis or empirical research. Rather, we can build an argument, I think, from, from a law of logic, the, uh, the proposition that, that P must either be true or false, and it can't be both, it can't be neither. It has to be one or the other. Now, this law of the excluded middle, one of the, one of the foundational precepts of, of, of philosophy, we can simply ask a question of any kind of mental activity, and, and this will be regardless of whether it's material or immaterial. That's what makes this a crucial argument and an important one, a pertinent one, is that you can ask of that, uh, of that mental activity, is it determined or is it not? That is, is it determined by anything else or is it completely undetermined by anything? If it's undetermined by anything, then it's random. And you're by definition not in control of that which is random. If it's determined by something, then it's either determined by something further inside your mind or inside your brain or indeed inside your soul, or it's determined by something external to your brain. If it's determined by something external to yourself, I should say yourself rather than your brain here to uh, rid this conversation of uh, any implicit materialism, exterior to yourself, if that's what's determining the action, then clearly you're not in ultimate control of that action. If it's something inside of yourself somewhere, then all you do is push the problem back and you ask the question again, is that thing determined or is it indetermined? So indetermined, it's random, determined, you keep going back until you either terminate in something outside of the self, something uh, or, or I suppose something undetermined and therefore therefore random, either of which you are completely out of control. In. If you say that it terminates in something like a soul, people like to do this. They say, well, look, with a religious philosophy, we have the benefit of introducing a soul. That doesn't solve anything. 
because you still need to it's not a, it's not a matter of having to explain the mechanism by which the soul brings about actions that may well be a mystery but if it is the case that whatever it is that's doing that is either determined or it's not and that if it's not it's random and therefore out of your control and that if it is it ultimately terminates in something outside of yourself mm. or something random and both of which are out of your control free will cannot exist well and the, so, so i that, would be that careful argument does, that does argument that, that argument does rely on the complete deconstruction of the self right? i mean you're using the, the term self in, in this argument in, I think, a couple of different ways. You're saying something outside yourself, but then you're breaking down the self into a bunch of separate components as though the self is a computer. Right? As though if, you, if you took the self and you broke it down into a machine and there, there's, like the micro, there's the microchip and you've got the processor, you've got, you've got all these different parts of it. So it has to be coming from here or it has to be coming from here. But I think the very idea that we have of ourselves as selves is as a deciding being. And so the, the attempt to carve that down into, so which parts of the deciding being, that is an avoidance strategy so I, I don't think that the argument quite holds. Well, if we I mean, can call the self just a, 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 a deciding, a, a deciding being, being, call it a deciding being, then that sort of fundamental assumption that we make about the nature of the self, I don't think is going to be incompatible with atheism. How so? Uh, because we're talking about what the self is here. I mean, atheists believe in the self. Uh, everybody believes in the well, self. Well, no, that's not, I mean, that, that, that I, I find difficult to believe. Why, why would an atheist believe in the self? The self is a series of... of of non-deciding mechanisms, as you've described. I see that your view of the self is, is an atheist view of the self, a, a meatball wandering through space, as I've put it somewhat colorfully, the, the sort of Spinoza idea that, that you're a stone that's been thrown, and, and you can comprehend that you've been thrown, but you're a stone that's been thrown, and that's just the way that it is. Why would there be in atheist philosophy such a thing as a deciding self? The deciding self, the deciding being, is external to the idea of an evolutionary cause, because uh, it, it, again, it, the, the very word deciding suggests uncaused decision-making, and you've just excluded it through your own philosophy. Uncaused decision-making, I, I suppose it's a concept that I think is unintelligible, and, and therefore if there, is, if there is an unintelligibility of the self on atheism, I suppose the, the thrust of the criticism that I made to essentially every point you made in that video, except for uh, the argument from motion, is that what you're saying to me, if it applies to atheism, I think simultaneously applies to theism as well. How so? An, an uncaused decision. I mean, what is the process by which a decision is made? Ah, it, but now, you're, but now you're, you're falling into the, the same sort of argument that I excluded at the beginning, which was I said that the beauty of religion is that there's a bunch of stuff I don't understand. Hmm. So I can't explain to you how the uncaused self makes decisions. Well, then I can't explain to you how the uncaused self exists on an atheist framework. But you have framework. burden and I don't. Meaning that, I, I don't meaning, think that's the case. You, you do, though. I mean, the, the, the simple fact is that you are the one who's claiming that a reasonable materialist universe is the cause of all. And so if that's the case, you do have to explain the mechanism in a way that I certainly do not. My entire philosophy rests on the, on the positing of an entire realm of things I don't understand in terms of their interaction with the world. Now, as I said at the very beginning, that leaves me a giant escape hatch. I'm not gonna pretend that that's not a giant escape hatch. It, it acts in practice as a giant escape hatch. It also tends to act as a fundamental principle of faith, right? Again, in, in every moral realm, right? When, when you get to the problem of good and evil, right? One of the big questions is, well, how can God allow evil to, to take place in the world? And the fundamental religious answer, as it has been for thousands of years, is my mind is not God's, which is a giant escape hatch. It also happens to be true from a religious point of view. Alrighty, folks, we reached the end of today's show. We'll be back here tomorrow with much, much more. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 